Politico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport for WFHB I'm Juliana Daly, and now for today's environmental news brief. From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Thursday, November 11th. I'm Nathaniel Weinzapfel. Last week, the Bloomington Police Department practiced a training exercise at an approved burning site at an old home. This allowed them to prepare for real-life scenarios. However, Bloomington residents have raised concerns about the toxins that came from the home. Local landlord Matt Murphy specifically smelled the burning of lead and noticed ash and other contaminants landing in his and his neighbor's backyards. City officials have contacted biohazard cleanup companies to investigate and possibly remove any harmful chemicals and debris that may still be present in the area. The main contaminant, lead, can have permanent harmful effects on the brain and central nervous system. The Supreme Court of the United States has recently announced that they will hear cases concerning whether the federal government has the power to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. The case, a consolidation of many, goes by the name of West Virginia versus the Environmental Protection Agency. Many people on the side of West Virginia are fighting to make it unconstitutional for the EPA to create strong and effective policies to fight climate change, as they view it as hurtful for the fossil fuel industry. Two Supreme Court justices, Justice Neil Gorsuch and Justice Brett Kavanaugh, have shown support for such a position in the past. If ruled in favor of West Virginia, This could become a monumental shift in terms of the power of the federal government. A brand new project between the state of Indiana and an Israeli-based renewable energy company will lead to a $1.5 billion investment for a brand new solar panel farm in northwest Indiana. Called the Mammoth Solar Project, the solar farm will be around 13,000 acres of previously farmed cropland. This area of the state receives a large amount of solar energy so it is an ideal spot for the new farm. This conversion will also save an estimated billion gallons of irrigation water and 2,000 tons of carbon emissions that will result from the application of pesticides as well as the planting and harvesting of crops. Once completed, the solar panel will be the biggest in the country. And that is all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinsaffel. today's feature report, Indiana environmental reporters Enrique Sands talks about the climate summit in Glasgow, Scotland. I'd like to say thank you to all the veterans out there. Today is Veterans Day, and we owe you a big thank you.
And now for your headline stories. Doral Renewables has broken ground on the Mammoth Solar Project in Indiana, set to be the U.S.'s largest solar farm once complete. The 400 megawatts of energy produced here during the first phase of the project is enough to power 75,000 Midwestern households and will infuse millions of much-needed dollars into local Indiana communities. Doral expressed gratitude for the support from Governor Holcomb and Stark County officials, who have established Indiana and the county as one of the most competitive places to invest in renewable energy projects. Support from local landowners and community leaders was also instrumental in making this project happen, and Doral looks forward to working with them for decades to come. Mammoth Solar II is expected to begin construction early next year. Governor Holcomb confirmed his presence at the groundbreaking ceremony on Twitter, where he heralded Doral Renewables' significant investment in the state for creating jobs for local residents and providing renewable power for the Midwest region. Quote, Today is more proof that Indiana will continue to play a key role in the global energy sector with clean, renewable energy sources for generations of Hoosiers to come, end quote, he said. At the last minute, IU Foundation President J.T. Forbers and co-chief investment officers Abe Weldy and Jim Bergstrom backed out of a scheduled meeting with the IU Bloomington chapter of the Sunrise Climate Justice Movement to discuss the foundation's investments in fossil fuels. The IU administrators cited hesitancy about meeting at a central location on campus. Despite professing a desire to be open and accountable to IU students, faculty, and staff, they were unwilling to take part in a public meeting. At the meeting, Sunrise members intended to ask two questions. One, how much of IU's money is invested in fossil fuels? And two, would the IU Foundation commit to divesting from fossil fuels and join universities like Harvard, Cornell, Columbia, Dartmouth, and the University of Michigan and others? The Sunrise Movement still seeks the opportunity to ask the IU Foundation these questions where they can respond publicly and openly. The Sunrise Movement hopes to see the Foundation, as managers of IU's investments, hold true to IU's stated values of sustainability and accountability, which Sunrise shares. Sunrise has wide support from the Bloomington community, high schoolers, undergrad and grad students, faculty, alumni, staff, and other community members have expressed solidarity with Sunrise's ongoing petition, which has garnered 1,300 signatures. The IU Foundation has declined to hear the community's concerns in a public setting, but has offered to meet in the future in a more private format that will not accommodate Zoom participants. While Sunrise values developing a relationship with the Foundation, the movement believes that divestment requires transparency and accountability. Sunrise, therefore, continues to urge the Foundation to agree to a meeting where both parties can hear each other's concerns openly. Sunrise sees this moment as a victorious one. The university and foundation recognize the movement and the community's backing of it. WTIU reports the group Indiana United for Our Future, or INUF, hopes to raise money for environmental candidates running for the state legislature. The nonpartisan group wants to see more 
state lawmakers passed legislation that addresses climate change and protects Indiana's natural resources like wetlands and forests. INUF's Beth Sprunger said when it comes to who gets in office, money talks. Quote, Hopefully we can start competing with some of those other donors who are donating money for organizations that are kind of pushing toward bills that are detriment to the environment, end quote, she said. Last year, state candidates got more than $2 million from donors invested in energy and natural resources. Many of the top contributors were electric utilities and coal companies. Sprunger said environmental issues have gone under the radar for too long. Indiana is ranked 36th in the U.S. for renewable energy generation, behind other states in the region, including Illinois, Michigan, Iowa, and Minnesota. The state of Indiana is forging ahead with a plan to log the heart out of the Salamone River State Forest. In late October, the director of the Indiana Division of Forestry announced that the agency is moving forward with its timber sale in the forest. Assuming the sale follows the agency's harvest plan, it will be the largest sale in the 85-year history of the forest. Logging will remove 31% of the volume of marketable trees from a 121-acre tract in the heart of 956-acre forest. Additional trees will be cut for, quote, timber stand improvement, end quote, in concert with the sale. The state says the sale is necessary to remove non-native pines planted in an earlier era. However, hardwoods are naturally replacing the pines. Furthermore, removing large numbers of pines at once will greatly increase the amount of sunlight reaching the forest floor. That, plus the fact that logging will scrape the floor bare, will enable an explosion of non-native invasive plants. Much of the sale area is in the oldest portion of the forest in towering hardwoods on the bluffs along the river. There, the canopy can be 100 feet off the ground in places that have consisted of mature forests for more than 80 years and are only two to three decades away from returning to old growth conditions. The forest harbors a large population of wintering bald eagles and is home to many neotropical migrant warblers and bats that are declining or endangered in Indiana. The forest's diverse wildflower community was the basis for the forestry divisions nominating a portion of the forest heart to be preserved as a high conservation value forest six years ago. The proposal was never finalized. The Indiana Forest Alliance wrote of the Salamone, quote, the richness of the forest flora and fauna, the scenic beauty of its bluffs, dolomite canyons and waterfalls, plus the rarity of such places in northern Indiana, make Salamone an ecological jewel that should be managed as a state park rather than logged for wood that the timber industry doesn't need, end quote. Over 800 residents of northeast Indiana said as much in a petition to the Indiana Natural Resources Commission. Indiana Department of Natural Resources Director Dan Bortner and Governor Eric Holcomb both have the authority to overrule the Division of Forestry and cancel the plans for this sale. The fossil fuel industry has a new scam up its sleeve for solving the plastic waste crisis, so-called chemical recycling. The term recycling is very misleading. Chemical recycling doesn't turn used plastic into new plastic products. Rather, it turns plastic waste into oil and gas to be burned. The process releases greenhouse gases and toxic pollution into the atmosphere. 
Solutions to plastic pollution shouldn't create more problems than they solve. We already know that the way to save the planet from plastic is to ban the worst single-use products. Chemical recycling poses a threat to the environment. Over half the plastic processed in chemical recycling facilities comes out as climate pollution. That's on top of the emissions from burning the resulting fuel. In addition, melting down plastic routinely emits pollutants that threaten human health, including dioxins and volatile organic compounds. Those pollutants are linked to cancer, respiratory diseases, neurologic disorders, and other harms. Fortunately, a new EPA rule could make it harder to turn plastic into oil and gas to be burned. The EPA is considering tightening regulations on chemical recycling and is currently accepting public input on this decision. California just concluded its driest water year in nearly a century. Between October the 1st, 2020 and September the 30th, 2021, the cycle on which precipitation is measured, the average precipitation across the state's weather stations was less than half of the historical average. Climate change, caused by the extraction and combustion of fossil fuels, is intensifying droughts and experts worry the past year is a prelude. And if next year we're to see above average precipitation, quote, you're not even going to come close to refilling Lake Mead, end quote. Daniel McAvoy, a climatologist with the Western Regional Climate Center, told the Los Angeles Times. After a near brush with the Calder fire earlier this year, water levels at Lake Tahoe are extremely low. Quote, the Build Back Better agenda will help us tackle the climate crisis with investments in clean energy and electric vehicles so we can reduce emissions, end quote, Vice President Kamala Harris said while visiting Lake Mead. And now for our feature, IER reporter Enrique Sands reports on the Climate Summit in Glasgow, Scotland. Despite what any of our wide-eyed relatives may say lovely across the dinner table, climate change is real, it's happening now, and humans are causing it. Greenhouse gases from man-made sources like cars and power plants are heading up to the atmosphere and trapping heat, which is then changing the climate. Hotter temperatures, more rain falling and heavier downpours, more frequent billion-dollar disasters, and changes in what crops grow. Basically, climate change changes everything. About 200 world leaders went to Glasgow, Scotland for a climate conference that could decide the fate of the world's future and scientists are urging them to take action now. In an editorial, the geoscientists in charge of 22 science journals of the American Geophysical Union, including two from Indiana, urged world leaders at the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference of the Party Summit, known as COP26, to take immediate collective action to lessen the impacts of climate change that threatens humanity itself. This is Gabriel Filippelli, Chancellor's Professor at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, and Director of the Center for Urban Health. So for decades, we've been um, publishing papers documenting the train wreck of climate change, right? And, you know, decade after decade, there we publish more papers that show how bad it is and how much worse it's going to get. But it really is also a sort of a call to our own, the Western countries who, you know, even now, although you know, the U.S. arguably emits less carbon than um, for China, for example, for sure. You know, we we in Western Europe have the lion's share of the carbon that's already up there is from us. <laughs> so, 
Um, if anyone takes leadership, it should be us. And it's the simple things, right? The simple things like getting off of fossil fuels. That's the most important fix that we can do. The conference has been held yearly since 1995. It has resulted in several major emissions agreements over the decades like the Kyoto Protocol and the 2015 Paris Agreement that have formed the foundation for governmental climate action across the globe. The agreements have yielded some positive results. The Kyoto Protocol, for example, resulted in reduced overall carbon dioxide emissions, which, along with other greenhouse gases, trap heat in the atmosphere and subsequently change the Earth's climate. The Paris Agreement, which seeks to limit global warming to 2 degrees Celsius, is meeting with much less success. A UN Framework on Climate Change report found that the emissions reductions plans for the next decade from the US and other countries would result in the world becoming 2.7 degrees warmer by the end of the century. The report, though, did not include an analysis of major polluters China, South Africa, or Japan, which could result in the warming rate being even higher. As a result of these and other steps backwards in addressing the climate crisis, scientists have stepped outside their traditional roles and into the world of politics to ask world leaders to take action to address the climate crisis. The journal editors, including Filippelli, wrote an editorial saying in part, We are trained to be dispassionate observers and cautious thinkers. Yet the alarming rate of recent climate change impels us to turn our attention directly toward mitigating this impending crisis. We are scientists, but we also have families and loved ones alongside our fellow citizens on this planet. The time to bridge the divide between scientist and citizen, head and heart, is now. The lead-up to the 2021 UN Climate Change Conference, COP26, being held in Glasgow in November, is our last best chance to urge world leaders to come together and commit to keeping climate change and its devastating impacts in check. Filippelli is editor-in-chief of GeoHealth, an AGU journal that publishes scientific articles on the interactions between the environment and human health. He said that he and other AGU journal editors decided to call for action after a UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report released in August declared a code red for humanity. The report, authored by 234 scientists from 66 countries, found that atmospheric carbon dioxide concentrations were higher than at any time in at least 2 million years and methane and nitrous oxide concentrations were higher than they have been in 800,000 years. The report warned that unless rapid and deep reductions in greenhouse gas emissions happen in coming decades, the Paris Agreement goals would be beyond reach. The efforts to decarbonize and take climate action in the U.S. are being hampered by the fossil fuel industry and lawmakers with financial ties to fossil fuel. The leaders of four major oil and gas companies were called to testify at a six-hour hearing of the House Oversight Committee. After an industry lobbyist revealed one company used third-party organizations to fight against legislative action on climate change and used shadow groups to maximize profits for the company by opposing efforts to transition to renewable energy. This is Representative Carol Maloney, chair of the House Oversight Committee. For far too long, Big Oil has escaped accountability for its central role in bringing our planet to the brink of a climate catastrophe. That ends today. Big Oil has known the truth about climate change for decades. In the 1970s and 80s, Exxon's own scientists privately told top executives that burning fossil fuel was changing the global climate. A 2015 investigation by Inside Climate News revealed that top executives at ExxonMobil Corporation knew fossil fuels were changing the Earth's climate as early as 1977 and led efforts to stop government efforts to curb fossil fuel emissions. 
The investigation found Exxon used the American Petroleum Institute, a trade organization representing all of the oil and gas industry, right-wing think tanks, campaign contributions, and other lobbying efforts to cast doubts on climate science and delay government action for decades. In Indiana, groups with ties to the fossil fuel industry were found to stir up efforts against wind and solar energy systems, and groups without fossil fuel affiliations were found to base some of their concerns on misinformation spread by groups with fossil fuel ties. During the oversight hearing, Representative Ro Khanna gave the executives an opportunity to denounce the disinformation. I don't believe you purposely want to be out there spreading climate disinformation, but you're funding these groups. And they're really having an impact. You know, they're, they're, they're spending millions of dollars in Congress to kill electric vehicles. And they're spending millions of dollars against the, 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 the methane gas. And you could do something here. You could tell them to knock it off for the sake of the planet. You could end it. You could end that lobbying. Would any of you take the opportunity to look, look at API and say, stop it? Any of you? Democratic lawmakers recently cut a major climate provision from a $3.5 trillion spending bill at the behest of Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. The Clean Energy Performance Program would have rewarded energy suppliers who transition away from greenhouse gas emitting fossil fuels like coal and natural gas and impose fines on those who did not. Manchin has made millions of dollars from a private coal brokerage he founded and has accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars in campaign contributions from the fossil fuel industry. The once ambitious plan was reduced to $1.75 trillion, with approximately $550 billion in tax cuts and incentives for electrification, the only climate provisions remaining. Republicans have resolved to defeat the bill by targeting the remaining provisions on procedural grounds and reviving dormant concerns about balanced budgets and government overreach. My sense is that, that um, we, we largely have all the tools we need right now. It's just what we don't have much of is time. We now know that with the proper balance of renewables and distributed storage, we can actually fuel the country. We can, we, we can turn on lights all over the country. We can fuel vehicles and, and power vehicles uh, and all that with electrons, not with gasoline. And so the technology is out there. You know, I, I think that really if we rolled up our sleeves, even by 2030, if corporations weren't in our way, we could probably be 90% toward uh, uh, toward that that goal of, of significant reduction. Just some technologies that exist. Despite the difficulties with the legislative branch of the government, President Joe Biden said he remains committed to tackling the climate crisis. This is the challenge of our collective lifetimes, the existential threat to human existence as we know it. And every day we delay, the cost of inaction increases. So let this be the moment that we answer history's call here in Glasgow. Let this be the start of a decade of transformative action that preserves our planet and raises the quality of life for people everywhere. We can do this. We just have to make a choice to do it. So let's get to work. Other world leaders like Prime Minister of the United Kingdom Boris Johnson and Pope Francis have urged action during COP26, but leaders from heavily polluting nations like China, Russia, and Saudi Arabia were absent from the conference. More than 100 leading countries, accounting for 86% of the world's forests, including the U.S., signed an agreement to halt and reverse forest loss and land degradation by 2030, a measure which could sequester more carbon dioxide and have other positive effects. World leaders from 100 countries, including some involved in the forest agreement, signed the Global Methane Pledge, a goal to reduce methane emissions by 30% by the year 2030. 
Methane is a greenhouse gas at least 25 times as potent as carbon dioxide and trapping heat in the atmosphere. President Biden announced the U.S. would heavily regulate methane through the U.S. EPA, a move that could reduce 41 million tons of methane, the equivalent of 920 million metric tons of carbon dioxide emissions between 2023 and 2035. The move would set policy for the Biden administration, but it could be scrapped by subsequent administrations. to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to re report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Join David Rupp of Indigo Birding Nature Tours for the Sassafras Audubon Society's November weekday bird walk on Friday, November 12th from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. The group will meet at the Paintown State Recreation Area Beach Parking Area and spend two hours exploring trails and the waterfront in, front in search of all types of migrating birds. Reserve your spot by contacting David at david at indigobirding.com or call 812-679-8978. Breathe in the crisp morning smells on an autumn morning hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, November 13th from 9 to 10.30 a.m. Meet Anthony at the Spring Mill Inn front patio for a morning hike on Trail 3 to take in the sights and sounds of a brisk autumn morning. The hike is two and a half miles in length. Take a Griffey night hike at Griffey Lake Nature Preserve on Saturday, November 13th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Learn about the local nocturnal animals and what helps them thrive in the dark on this naturalist-led night hike. Meet at the boathouse. Please register at bloomington.n.gov parks. A virtual Greening the State House two-day event sponsored by the Hoosier Environmental Council is scheduled for Friday, November the 19th and Saturday, November 20th. You can participate virtually in the largest annual gathering of environmentally-minded Hoosiers. Program sessions begin at noon on Friday and end on Saturday at 4 p.m. To learn more about Greening the State House and to register, go to hecweb.org. At the Griffey Lake Nature Preserve on Saturday, November the 20th, from 12.30 to 2.30 p.m., you have the opportunity to learn about natural rope and plant cordage. 
This ancient skill was used to make durable rope long before paracord. This hands-on program will teach you how to find, identify, and process plants to make your own rope. Meet at the Boathouse. Please register at bloomington.in.gov parks. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman assembled, assembled the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Me, Juliana Daly, compiled our events calendar, and Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I am Juliana Daly, and this is Eco Report. <laughs>